Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Was Cleveland, not Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the true home of Little League? This is the argument presented in the book Mrs. Moorhart and the Boys. But this work is about more than just the origins of youth baseball. It's the story of a single mother, Josephine Moorhart, and how during the Great Depression, this hardworking mother built an organization focused on fostering meaningful growth for the children in her community. Author Ruth Hanford Moorhart joins me to discuss Josephine's story and how baseball and youth sports were impacted by her mother-in-law's life. Today, on Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. I am, as always, your host, Jeff Lambert. So I'm really excited to get into the interview that I conducted about a week and a half ago at this point with author Ruth Hanford Moorhard. She is the author of just an amazing book that I really enjoyed reading. The title of it is Mrs. Moorhard and the Boys, One Mother's Vision, The First Boys Baseball League, A Nation Inspired. It was excellent to sit down with Ruth and just discuss her experience in writing the book and a little bit about her mother-in-law and the legacy that, that she left. And I think you're going to love it too. So I would really encourage you. The interview is going to give you some insight into how the book was compiled, a little bit more about Josephine, the subject's uh, life in depth. And when you get finished with it, please take a moment. I'm going to put the links right in the show notes and you can go to your bookseller of choice. I'm going to put three different ones, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, a couple other ones that I can find. So you can just click and automatically buy the book. I would highly recommend it. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Ruth, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show today. How is uh, the weather in your area currently today? Well, uh, luckily today it's sunny. We've had a very hot summer uh, in the 90s, which is highly unusual for us here. We went right from winter to summer with no spring in between. So I'm hoping next year will be a little better. Yeah, I'm hoping so as well. I'm calling from uh, Miami where the weather is always hot (laughs) and humid. But, uh, you know, overall, it's, it's been nice weather throughout. Are you joining us from Cleveland or are you calling from a different area? Well, we're, we're in the Cleveland area. It's actually a town called Chardon, Ohio, which is the snow belt of Ohio. Well, you know, Ruth, we're going to talk about your new book that's out, and it talks about your mother-in-law, and it really discusses, at its core, it's a question about where was the true home of Little League? Where did it start? And I guess in a broader sense, it talks about the accomplishments of 
your mother-in-law and and how much she cared about the kids in her community, both her own children and the other children around her. I'd like to jump in a little bit and give you a chance to explain to our listeners what your book is about and talking about your mother-in-law, you know, and, and some of the accomplishments, you know, she lived an amazing life. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Her name was Josephine Mathy Moorhart. Um, she is credited as in your book as starting America's first boys baseball league. Can you talk a little bit about the events in her life that got her involved in wanting to start a youth sports program? Well, uh, Josephine Moorhart had a very difficult life. She was one of 17 children. She grew up on a farm in uh, around Youngstown, Ohio. Um, she left home. She was she got very tired of the, the hard work on the farm. She was pr- probably the, the child that did the most work on the farm. And she felt that she could go out on her own and make money like her father was, being an entrepreneur. But she didn't realize what the hazards of doing that were. She left home at age 12. Wow went out on her own. Um, you, can, you can imagine the obstacles that she faced. The only work she could find was caring for children or doing housework. So she did that for a number of years. She actually at one point went to live with another family. Um, it, it was a very, very difficult life. Um, many times all she had to eat was, were peanuts and ginger snaps all day long. Uh, her her family, conti- she continued to be close to her family, but she never wanted to go back to the farm. And what she, uh, her family actually helped her to get a, uh, an education as a stenographer. So eventually she she did have something that, that she could uh, do to make some money other than, than domestic work. It, it, probably in, in desperation, um, she ended up marrying two men who probably weren't the best choices. They were, they both turned out to be alcoholics and, and abusive. Mm-hmm. They gave her two children, um, a, a, a daughter and a son. Um, she was concerned about her son in, in her, in the divorce from her. I mean, here you've got a woman <laughs> in the great depression who was twice, a twice divorced mother of two. And just imagine there were no support services. There was nothing available to help. She had received a meat market from her her uh, second husband in the divorce. So she was running a meat market trying to uh, raise two children. And it wasn't easy, as you can imagine, because you didn't have daycare centers. You didn't have the supports that are available now. Sure. Well, she um, she was concerned about her son. Al, Albert, who everyone called Junior at the time, uh, he had seen some things, you know, in the in the household. For example, he'd seen his father chasing his mother around the dining room table with a butcher knife, and he was very trauma- traumatized as a young boy. And he was starting to act out, and she was really worried that he was going to turn out like his father. Um, she didn't want that and she didn't know what to do because she had to work. She was, you know, she had to work at the, uh, at the meat market. So one day she was looking out the front window and she saw him in the street where, where the boys played back in the day. And he had a, uh, he had a stick and a tennis ball and he was hitting the, the tennis ball with a stick with a Cleveland Indians cap on his head. And all of a sudden she, she thought, well, I wonder if baseball could provide an answer. So what she's a she was a very feisty woman and she marched right up to the mayor's office and she asked him if he knew of any boys teams that were available. Now Junior was eight years old at the time. This was 1937. 
Um, and the mayor said, no, he said, there's, you know, there are some adult uh, um, teams and there's some teams for older, older teenagers, but there's nothing that we've been able to find around here. And just to clarify, Ruth, yeah. this is the this is the years before there was really any options for organized youth sports, especially Little League, which we, you know, we know exists today. But this correct. was not an option for uh, Josephine during this time, correct? No, no. Little League basically started two years later in 1939 um, and didn't really didn't really take off until after the war. Um, but so this this was 1937. And uh, the mayor, uh, you know, she decided, well, you know, maybe I can get some, get some of the neighborhood kids together. The mayor said that she could use a field in back of town hall. So she got the neighborhood kids together and they started playing ball in the field behind town hall. The problem was the grass was high. The ball, it was a, you know, the, the terrain wasn't ideal. The balls would roll into the street and there was no room for an, for an outfield. So one day she and Junior were going uh, to get something to eat at, and there was a, a restaurant called Lenny's Chicken in the Basket that was, and she, they were up there and she sees this huge field right in back of Lenny's Chicken in the Basket and at the corner of a busy intersection there was um, a developer was, was building a small shopping center. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a very rural area at the time. So she, in her inimitable way, she marches up to the developer's office and she said, you know, we really would like to use this field for a baseball field for the, for the boys. So I guess she, she must have charmed him because he said, okay. Wow. <laughs> and <laughs> so she got the boys together and, you know, they got their shovels and, you know, they're trying to create a baseball field. Well, it was too much for them. So she goes back to the mayor's office and she says to the mayor, she says, you know, it would be a great thing for the kids here in University Heights, Ohio, if they had a baseball team. And I found this field, the developer, the developer, by the way, his name was Anthony Visconti, and he ended up, uh, um, or his his son and, and, you know, future generations ended up being partners with uh, Dick Jacobs, who owned the Indians at one time. But sure. that's, that's an aside. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he he got the city trucks and the city employees and they went to the field and they created an infield. They leveled the field. They, you know, they created an infield. They cut the grass and they there was plenty of room for an outfield there. So she had her field. So that's how she started. Well, the next thing she, the, the boys, you know, of course, they wanted to be called the Little Indians after their heroes. Sure. And so, <laughs> and so. With that, she decided to, uh, they needed uniforms. Well, heaven forbid she should have regular, you know, the kids out there playing in their shorts and shirts. She went down to the local sporting goods store, and the man there happened to be a rep for Wilson's Sporting Goods, but he was also the head scout for the Cleveland Indians. Oh, my goodness. She keeps running into the right people at the right time here. Well, but she also was very persistent. (laughs) and his name was Laddie Playsec. And she said, you know, she said, I really, I, I would like these kids. They want to be called the Little Indians. And I'd like these kids to have authentic Indian uniforms. And he was a, a bit, you know, astounded with this lady asking him all of these questions. But he managed to get the, the boys uh, authentic Indians uniforms at, a, at, the, at cost. Wow. And uh, the only difference was that the Indian um that was on the sleeves of the players 
the, the boy's arms were too small, so she had to put it on the back. So that was that was the beginning. And, you know, they had this field and she, she'd hold fundraisers. She got a backstop. She got stands. I mean, she was going to make this as close to the major leagues as she could. I mean, nothing was 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 uh, was good enough unless it unless it met her standards. So the you know so they're trying to find boys for the little Indians to play and there's a couple of ragtag teams there was a team called the Hilltoppers, and there was a um, a Catholic youth organization team and you know the boys are wearing most of the boys are just wearing shorts and shirts and they see these little Indians in their beautiful uniforms well they wanted beautiful uniforms too so that led to the little in, the little White Sox the little Yankees you know all of the uh, a lot of the American League teams, and and uh, the more people saw the boys playing, the more kids wanted to be involved. So it just grew and grew. She finally had a, a junior American League, and she had a and um, as as time went on, and uh, more and more kids wanted to join. She had a junior national league. Wow. Well, <laughs> well, that of course led her. I mean, she's she's modeling all, everything against over after the major leagues. Um, now, what, what's interesting is that um, players like Bob Feller and Roy Weatherly and Jeff Heath used to come by. They'd help her with fundraisers. They'd play catch with the kids out in the, in the backyard. Um, and they, they helped to teach the kids how to play the game. Um, and Laddie Playsick, the head scout, used to have clinics teaching the kids to hit, pitch, field, and catch. It just goes back to, to pointing out again, Ruth, that this is a, a single mother with two young boys trying to make ends meet. You know, that in itself is a full-time job plus some. And then she decides that she wants to take ownership of the welfare of the other boys in her community. She puts together this team. She finds a place for them to play. She gets them uniforms. She's able to fundraise. She's bringing in other teams. This is really a a profile and sheer force of will on Josephine's part, I would say. It certainly is. I think, you know, she had, she had been through so much in her own life. She was going to do whatever she had to do to make sure her, her, her son and the boys in the neighborhood grew up right. I mean, that was her whole motivation for doing this. I mean, this was, this was the depression. These kids are all poor. They didn't have any money. They're playing in the street. There's, you know, there's nothing for them to do. Um, and she, and she basically enlisted people throughout the community to help as well as the Indians, as well as the political people. Um, it, it was, it was really quite amazing. Sure. She really embodied that. It takes a village mentality to, to take Absolutely. care of the kids during this time. I'd like to talk about these kids a, a little bit, uh, Ruth, in your research in your studies and in, in your conversations. Um, how did this youth baseball league make an impact on the boys in the community? What types of um, benefits and advantages did it produce both short-term and long-term? Well, first of all, she, I mean, she wanted these boys to grow up right. As I said, that was her major motivation. And she would, she, she wanted them to learn discipline, teamwork, good sportsmanship. And she felt that they could not only learn the game of baseball, but they could learn from the game of baseball. One thing she was concerned about was making sure these boys had good role models. And one of the uh, one of the people that uh, she enlisted was a, a man that some people have heard of. His name was uh, Hal Leibowitz. Mm -hmm. He was the sports editor for the Plain Dealer for many years. He wrote for the Sporting News, 
And he's also in the writer's wing of the Hall of Fame. Um, she got him to help to help out. He was an umpire. She paid him $50 a game. But he also served to, to coach the boys. And, you know, th and there was there was no pressure on these boys. I mean, what she wanted to do was balance the discipline with encouragement to nurture these boys, which is really important, especially when when boys are are really young like that. Sure. As um, the father of a four year old, I'm I'm 100 <laughs> with you. <laughs> So anyway, I mean, she she had rules. I mean, she worked with with uh, Laddie Playsec to, to, you know, to come up with dimensions for the field. Um, she she had one rule that was uh, pretty amazing. Um, the boys before they they were allowed on the field, they had to tell her of a good deed they've done the day before. Okay. So so you had all these boys running down to the neighborhood grocery store and helping little old ladies with with their bags of groceries and the, you know, the town didn't know what had happened to these kids. <laughs> hey, that's some positive, some positive reinforcement there. I like it. That's a great idea by, by, uh, you know, just uh, bringing all the kids together, not only, you know, for, for amusement for themselves, but to help their community too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, she, um, uh, she used to, she used to bring the boys over to, to, to her house. And she used to talk to them and give them, you know, she used to make these brownies that were, you know, huge with lots of frosting on the top, which we probably wouldn't do today. Um, but she used to tell them, you know, you can do it. You can do anything you put your mind to. She said, look, she'd say to them, look what I've been through. She said, you can, you can, you can do anything that you want to do. Um, just look at me as an example. And she just was very, very, very nurturing. But she also knew these kids needed discipline. I mean, you know, when she started, uh, she had uh, she had kids that were yelling at the umpires. She had there was one boy who was doing somersaults across the outfield, and, yeah. and she had, and she had a whistle, and she'd blow that whistle, and the boys learned that that whistle meant business. I mean, she was going to encourage them to do their best. But she was also going to make sure that that they played the game the right way. Now, you mentioned in your book that you have you had the the privilege of sitting down with the surviving members of uh, the boys that played in this league, you know, from an early age on. And of course, you know, I mean, as you mentioned, as time goes on, their numbers are dwindling. But you know, even in their older years, do they recall the impact that this league had on their development, how it set them up for later success? What's some of the feedback that you got from them? All I kept hearing was she was a great lady. She was like a mother to us. Um, even before I sat down and talked to some of these boys, we'd go, um, Al, uh, her, her son, who was junior then, and I would go to... Uh, events people would come up to him and tell him how much his mother meant to them and they all turned out they all turned out to be you know just wonderful human beings um and very successful professionally i mean she wasn't interested in creating major league ball players although a couple of her players got into the minor leagues and there's some interesting stories there mm -hmm. um but that wasn't her focus i mean she wanted the boys to 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 grow up and become good people and good citizens and they did and 30 years after the the, the first little indians team they had a reunion for her and they gave her a pin a baseball, a baseball pin, a gold baseball pin. It was just before Mother's Day because they they felt like she was their second mother, 
and they gave her an autographed uh, baseball. And uh, not only were some of the former players there, but Hal Leibowitz was there, um, Roger Peckinpah, who had been the manager of the Indians at at that time, and you know all of the old umpires. And they just, you know, it was just a it was a love fest. They just they just kept telling her how much she had meant to them. Um, so it it had a tremendous impact. One of the things that they uh, they asked her at the time was they said, uh, we'd like to get you recognition for starting these leagues. You know, everybody talks about Little League, but you know, she said, no, that's not important. She said, what was important to me was to make sure you guys grew up to be what you have grown up to be. And she said, that's not important. You know, what a what a moving way to be able to uh, not only honor this individual that had such an impact in their lives, but just to see, like you said, the not only the discipline, but the the compassion that they were taught and how it played out in the long run. And, you know, from from everything I've I've seen, Ruth, Josephine didn't really get the I think the credit she deserves in her life you know, for this accomplishment, not only for being the forerunner of the entire Little League system, but also for just the impact that one person can make on a community and, and really a city at large. I'd like to talk a little bit about your experience because you didn't start off, you know, in, at a younger age with the intent of writing a book about your mother-in-law, Josephine. It It kind of just seemed to come together for you. Can you talk a little bit about when did you decide to sit down and write a book and tell her story? Well, it's it, it's kind of an interesting story. I I moved to Cleveland for a job, um, and I met uh, her son Al, who, as I said, was then junior. Um, and uh, I I only met her just a few months before she passed away. Um, after she passed away, I was helping the family clean out the house, and in the basement, I saw this huge can of film, and it said "Bring up baseball" on the side. And so I asked Al, what it, you know, what's that about? He says, oh, that's just about my mother. She started the Little League. The Indians made that film about her. And you can imagine what I thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking to myself, sure, she did. But I was curious. And so we got the film. Uh, we rented a 16-millimeter projector and, and looked at it. And I was absolutely stunned because here's Pinky Hunter, who was one of the Indians' announcers at the time, uh, narrating the film. There she is with the boys, uh, initially in, in the backyard with a bunch of boys uh, trying to play the game, and later on uh, on the field and uh, showing the boys uh, playing the games and the stands, the, the parents in the stands, the mothers with hats and dresses, and the fathers with suit coats, which you never see today. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I was, I was totally stunned by it. And so I, you know, put kind of put it in the back of my mind um, because I had work and I had kids and you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. um, it's, there's not a lot of time to think about writing something. I always thought I might write an article about it because I didn't know if there would be enough information for a book. And it was only about maybe six years ago that I really felt like I had the time to sit down and, and delve into it. And when when I did, I found the story was much more about, um, much more than just about baseball. It's about this incredible woman who had such hardship in her life, but turned it around to do something wonderful for the kids in the community. Um, so it, it basically, it took me about 
oh, it took me about five years to to get it all together. But uh, but it was a story I felt needed to be told. Now, in your preparation for the book, you obviously had a lot of information that Josephine left behind after she passed away. Uh, did your research take you to different places across the country or the world? You said you interviewed some of the boys that were a part of the community. Uh, what was the the experience creating this book for you? Well, it was it, it was it was very interesting. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to do a book on someone who's quite well known. You have to do a lot more digging when it's when it's someone like this. But what I found was the more the more I uncovered, the more interesting the story got. Um, the uh, so, some of the um, some of the the former boys in her leagues had some very interesting stories to tell. I mean, one one was an orphan whose mother was was murdered, and his his father couldn't take care of him. And you know, it was like her league was a, a lifeline to him. Uh, another boy was grew up in a very privileged family, but he was neglected, and. For it, he just passed away maybe a year, I think two years ago, and through his whole life, um, he felt like she was the, the only mother he really had. I mean, the stories were just incredible. You know, and that brings me to just, I guess, the overall point from reading the book, Ruth. You know, Josephine, she's really an inspiration to parents who believe that that it takes a village attitude is what's needed to raise our kids. And, you know, overall, I think there's a lesson here. Do you have maybe some words that you uh, feel that Josephine or that you've gleaned from her, her writings that parents today can learn from both her character and her actions? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, she was, a, she was an incredibly determined woman who put the, the welfare of the kids above everything. Um, we go, you know, we go to some little league games and, and most of them are wonderful. Um, but but you do see parents who are yelling at the kids and coach, coaches who are yelling at the kids and have a, you know, winning is everything attitude. Well, she never had that attitude. Winning was, she wanted the boys to strive to do their best. But overall, she wanted them to learn the game and learn from the game. And she felt that, um, she, she, she just felt that baseball had wonderful lessons for them to teach, it teaches them discipline, teamwork and good sportsmanship. And how important it is to prepare and, and, and work hard. And that's going to help them in whatever they do. And I think the boys bore that out. Um, I think another lesson for, for anybody is the determination that she showed. And she had a, you know, a, a never give up attitude. I mean, if you believe something is right, you do whatever is in your power to make, make it happen. Now, I know most people can't do that <laughs> or, or don't do that because th- there, are, there are a lot of pressures on our lives today. But I think that's something that, that, that everyone can learn from. She also recognized that it wasn't something she could do by herself, that she had to get other people involved. I mean, she had the mayor, she had the developer, she had the Indians, she had the fathers and the mothers. And she actually had a, one of the mothers who knew a lot about baseball managing one of the teams. Um, one of the things that I think about sometimes is that um, her, her edit, I mean, she was very much a mother to the boys. She got the professionals like Laddie Plasek and, you know, the players that I've mentioned to help teach them the game. But, you know, young boys at that age, they need the, they need the nurturing. And, and, you know, and, and I guess I'm, what I'm saying is there is a place for, for women in the game 
who come with a little different perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, everything you just said reminds me of my own relationship with my son. And, you know, we, it's so easy today, I think, for parents to hand off the entertainment or the, the, um, the attention of their child to something else because it's right there. And here you have Josephine, you know, in an age where that was certainly not a given where you could just expect your child to sit next to you and be on an iPad or, or, or something of that nature. She, she knew that there were lessons to be learned and, and ways to be able to get the community together, these boys to be able to teach them lessons. And like you said, it wasn't all about just becoming a major league baseball player. It was life lessons. And so I think uh, we've lost a little bit of that today. And I think we have to remember, you know, we, we need to create opportunities for our kids to be able to experience life and to be able to work together and learn those lessons and not trust school or daycare or even, you know, mass media to do it for us. Very definitely. Um, you know, we see, we, we, we see plenty of, uh, of, of parents, even in restaurants with their kids, with their iPads or, or, or whatever. Um, it, Children, especially especially young children, they need they need to be out. They need to be doing constructive things that they're at active participants in. It's very important to their development. Um, and um, I would encourage I would encourage uh, parents to get their children involved in sports, but to make sure that that the the sports have some of the lessons that uh, Josephine Moorhart incorporated into hers. I think character building should be a part of every youth sport and not the pressure to win. And her whole idea of encouragement plus discipline, I think is very important. Absolutely. And and that kind of leads me into another question. I'd love to hear some of your perspective on youth sports currently today. You know, we see Little League has gone to a nationally televised sport where people can tune into ESPN and watch these kids compete, you know, on a yearly basis. And uh, we see the pressure that's placed on kids, I think, to, like you said, to succeed. Uh, we see kids as young as 15 or 16 years old being recruited into sometimes even younger uh, baseball academies or other sports academies, uh, contracts, you know, being signed with schools, recruiters, hounding parents. You know, and and I'm curious, you know, both with with your own perspective and, you know, and thinking about what Josephine would have to say, do you think there's any advice that you think um, would be available for today's Little League or youth sports in general? Well, as I mentioned, um, the the welfare of the kids should be uppermost. You know, Little League baseball is becoming too much of a, of a business in, in so many ways. And, and one of the things, other things that I notice in youth sports is that um, a lot of these kids, especially when they get to high school age, they're being recruited for travel teams, which is very hard on the parents. You know, we have a, we, we have a daughter with five boys and they're all involved in sports but if they, you know, if they want to compete at a high level, they have to join a travel team, and it's 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 almost impossible, and it it it's it's too much for these kids. I mean, they need there's so much that they need to learn at the ages they are. Um, they shouldn't be signing contracts at age 15. I mean, that's not good for them. Sure. If you if you use if you have youth sports as a learning tool for many other things. And if you learn to build good character, et cetera. Well, Ruth, I certainly just 
thoroughly enjoyed reading your book and, you know, I, I am recommending it to anybody in my circles who is a baseball fan or just a fan of reading a story about someone with the determination to make their community better. Uh, could you share a little bit about how some of our listeners could pick up a copy of your book? Where can they go to be able to buy uh, this book, Mrs. Moorhard and the Boys? Well, it's available at, you know, pretty much anywhere. Um, uh, of course, we we have the pandemic, so a lot of bookstores aren't open, but they have curbside. Uh, but they, but it can you can find it at your independent bookstore. It's online. It's at bookshop. Uh, .org, which supports independent bookstores. It's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, um, and, you know, pretty much, pretty much anywhere. I will make sure to put links to all of those in the show notes for our listeners so you can just one-click and pick up a copy for yourself. Ruth Moorhart, author of Mrs. Moorhart and the Boys, thank you so much for joining us on our episode today. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks again for joining us for another episode, and remember... There are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Mm-hmm.